Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series titled Old School. In this series, lead pastor David Fossil will help us catch glimpses of truth in the Old Testament that can be applied to our lives. Join us today as Pastor Dave looks for answers to the question, How Things Got So Messed Up, as we look at the lives of Adam and Eve. This is my favorite first service of the year, because the extra hour of sleep, you're all awake, and you're like, 8.30 isn't that bad. Yeah, wait till next week. I'm not getting up at 7 to go to church. Uh, How many Star Wars fans here? You a Star Wars fan? Yeah, a lot of Star Wars fans. I can't keep track of all the episodes and everything. I I know that in Episode 3, okay, I don't even know the title of it, but Episode 3, one of the main storylines is how Anakin Skywalker, you know, he's going and he's going to be the hero Jedi, and all of a sudden he gets seduced uh, by the dark side, and, and the story tells us how he becomes Darth Vader. Interestingly enough, in the Bible, when you look at it, when you get to the third chapter, you almost have the same storyline to some extent. You have the story of one of the heroes of the Bible, a guy called Adam, first guy in the Garden of Eden. And he is seduced by the dark side, turns his back on God, and everything basically comes crashing down. Um, the, story, uh, the series we're starting today called Old School, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at famous stories in the Old Testament as we kind of then head into the December month series. So we're, we're going to look at that. And the first story we're going to look at is found in the first couple pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 is what we're going to look at. Now, if you get to Genesis chapter 3, right away you're going to see the title there is The Fall of Man. Uh, one of the most significant uh, chapters to understand why the world is the way it is. Uh, why our world is so jacked up and our lives sometimes get so messed up, it all comes back to Genesis chapter 3. But before you jump into that, you have to understand what's happening in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles open, look at chapter 2, verse 15. Verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man, referring to Adam, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, I want to point out a couple things to you. The first one you see is underlined and highlighted there. It's the idea that Adam was was given the responsibility to work in the garden. He was going to be the landscaper. It is amazing to me how many church-going Christians think that work, that employment, was the result of sin. In other words, that's why we say it's almost like we have this feeling that Adam and Eve were just kind of sitting in the garden, you know, club med, sipping some Mai Tais, just having a great time. That's not what it was like. No, he cre- this is before sin comes in the world. He says you are to work. Part, part of the way God created us is to produce. He gave us unique abilities and unique talents. And, and if you get into the right career and the right job, yes, can there be frustration, anxiety, and stress? Absolutely at times. But you also know, and there should be some fulfillment and some satisfaction, and that comes from this right here, what is going on. We're going to see the result uh, of difficult work conditions as after chapter 3, but that is very important. Some of us got to tweak and change our perspective about work. It is a good thing, okay? In fact, many Bible scholars and, and will say that when we get to heaven, we're still all going to work to some extent, but we won't have the curse from, from Genesis chapter 3. The other thing I want to point out to you is, is the, obviously the central portion of this passage where God says to Adam, you are not to eat 
from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, question. You've got this one tree here. We don't want you to eat from it. And um, is, is God really saying to them, I don't want you to know the difference between good and evil? No, he's not saying that to them. Clearly, it's very easy to know the difference between good and evil. If you obey God, that's good. If you don't obey God, that's called sin. That's not that hard to figure out. What he's saying here, and when you dig into this passage, it's an acknowledgement and basically uh, to, 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 to say, God's saying to Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you a choice. Check it out. I am not going to force you to obey me. You can choose to love me. You can choose to obey me. You could choose to follow me. I am not going to force you to do that. The minute you choose to eat from this tree, it's basically you saying, I'm going to choose what's right and wrong. I'm going to decide what's good and evil. I'm not going to trust you anymore, God. I'm going to get that choice. Boy, if I, I can't think of any other verse that better describes our society and many of us at times in our lives. You know, I'll, I'll listen to him to some extent, but in the end, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. And, and that's ultimately what, what got us into all this mess. Now, the other thing I want to point out, I didn't highlight it, but after I did the slides, I think it's important to point out. I'm going to show you the consequences of chapter 3 in a minute. And we're going to spend some time looking at it. But in this chapter, it gives us the one big consequence. And it's the very last word of verse 17. You see it there? To die or death. The ultimate consequence of disobeying God and sinning against him is death. Now, in church, we always talk about spiritual death. You know, we're separated from God and because of sin, and we have to accept Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross so that we can have a redeemed relationship with God. And that is true. But make no mistake about it, that word is not just referring to spiritual death. It is also referring to physical death. In God's original plan, he did not intend for our bodies to waste away. He did not intend for my knees to be sore and my back to give out and my hair to fall out and for me to eventually end up in a box. That was not his intent. That was not his original plan. Every once in a while as a pastor, very often with some of you, I sit down and, and uh, you know, after you've lost a loved one and I consider it a privilege to be allowed to, to kind of try and walk through that with you a little bit. And every once in a while, there's someone who they're just raw and, and they can't contain themselves. And they'll basically say something like this to me. I'm angry, Dave. I'm And I'm angry at God. Why would he let this happen? Why would he let this person die? You know, and normally it's, some, it's, it's someone passing away that was unexpected, right? Or someone that was very young. Why would he let that? And they're ticked off. You know, what I've learned over the years, a couple things. One, from a counseling perspective, you never deny those feelings. You never say, you shouldn't feel that way. You never do that. In fact, I do exactly the opposite. I legitimize those feelings. You should be ticked off. You, you should be angry. Just one little suggestion, though. The anger, maybe, instead of being directed at God, should be directed to the one that caused it. Sin. Satan. That's what messed it all up. Should you be ticked off? Absolutely. At sin. It, 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 we read in the New Testament that the primary thing that God came to do is not only defeat sin, but the ultimate enemy, death. He's as ticked off as you are. So don't be unemotional with death. Be incredibly emotional, but understand where it comes from. 
You're on, God's on your side. He's trying to defeat it. That's the whole plan that he set in place after chapter 3. Now, what I want to show you is the tactics in chapter 3 that Satan used on Adam and Eve and continues to use on us to get us to disobey God. There's three or four things I want to encourage you to jot them down. The first thing that the enemy will do to get you to disobey God is he will twist the truth. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, referring to Satan, says this was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He, d- he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did you catch it? Did you catch the lie? Some of us, we read it so quickly, we don't even see it. L- let me show you. Satan is speaking to Eve. Did God really say you must not eat from, and there it is right there, any tree in the garden? That is actually not true. It's not true. I sounded the East Coast there, didn't I, real quick? (laughs) I always tease joy. Water. Water. That sounded right there. Garden. Okay. The garden. Okay. You can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. But he just misquotes it ever so careful. Just a little slight thing. Real quick. If you're going to make a counterfeit $50 bill, you don't make it out of blue paper. You make it as close to the original as possible. And that's what Satan does. He just twists it just a little bit. Just a little bit, right? Because he's hoping that they won't catch it. It's like the story of Noresha Gill. Noresha Gill lives in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, the local radio station was having this big contest. They were going to give away 100 grand. And, you know, you have to do this and do that. And then, oh, the day is coming. Someone's going to win 100 grand today. And you got to be the 10th caller. And, and then you got to answer this question very difficult. And then after answering the question, if you get it correct, you got to get to the radio station within an hour and you will get your prize, 100 grand. So Narisha called in. She got the answer right. I mean, she was just ecstatic. Think about it. If, if I, if you got a hundred grand, it could change our life. That would be awesome, right? So she, 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 she answers the question correctly. Come on down. We'll give you, you will give you your prize. She gets down to the radio station. She, to receive her prize of a hundred grand. And they gave her the candy bar. A hundred grand. That's cold. I mean, I wouldn't even do that. That is cold. (laughs) Now, question. Did they lie to her? No. Technically, no. They didn't lie to her. Did they deceive her? Absolutely. And that's exactly what Satan does. He doesn't just automatically lie to you. He just twists it ever so closely. He's just going to misquote one little word. And if he can get you on that path... He's got you going in the wrong direction. He's got me going in the wrong direction. First thing he does is twist the truth. The second thing he does is make God seem and look unreasonable. Verse 2, the woman said to, to, to Satan, the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden. So she corrects him. Thank goodness she catches it. Oh, no. He said we could eat from the fruit. It's just this one. We're not allowed to. Verse 3, but God did say you must not eat uh, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, that you must not touch it or you will die. First verse, we saw how Satan misquotes. Did you see how Eve did it? We have heard this story so much, we don't even see it anymore. Look at it. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Did God say that? He didn't say that at all. 
That's her adding to it. You see, one of the things that Satan wants to convince us of is God is so unreasonable. I mean, he is just out of time. He just doesn't understand. He wants us to take something that God has given and then add to it. I'm going to add my opinion about how I think you should live life. Then I'm going to repackage it. I'm going to present it to you as God's word. And if you disobey, I'm going to say you're disobeying God. And it seems unreasonable to you. Yeah, because I'm adding or someone is adding to what God actually said. They, they, he said nothing about whether you could touch the tree or not. Just don't eat the fruit. And they add to it with the purpose of trying to make God seem unreasonable. The third tactic is he attacks you when you are most vulnerable. Verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. The first time he says, you know, God is just lost. You know, he's just... He's not telling you the truth. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, it will be good. But I want to point out to you, he, he attacks not just where we are vulnerable. You see, he is not going to waste energy tempting you to, let's just say, steal. If stealing is not your thing, he's not going to waste energy trying to tempt you there. If pride is not your thing, he's not going to waste energy trying to tempt you there. He's going to find where you're weak. Maybe for you it's lust or it's anger or it's coveting or it's whatever it is. He goes after where you're weak, where you're weak. But he also goes after you when you are vulnerable. When you're vulnerable. Here's here's what I want to point out to you. Rewind the tape. If you look at chapter 2, when God is giving instructions about what they could and couldn't do in the garden, who's there? Well, it's very clearly, verse 15, only Adam is there. We know that to be true because Eve isn't even introduced until verse 19 and 20. She hasn't even created until later. So it's only Adam getting the instructions and directions about what they could and couldn't do in the garden. So we can presuppose and assume, how did Eve get the information about the garden? Where did she get the rules from? From Adam. She got the information secondhand. Okay? Now, a couple questions here. Women... A couple questions for you by a show of hands. How many of you have ever known a man? Some of, some of you are like, they're all boys. I'm not mean any. <laughs> okay, here's the real question. How many of you women have ever known a man to have possibly communication problems? Can I see your hands? Look at them. Some of them are like, I know. <laughs> Me. Yeah, we guys, we see we guys generally... Don't tend to give all the information. Have you noticed this? Yeah, some, so-and-so called for you, sweetie. What'd they want? I don't know. There's something going on Friday night or we're supposed to be there. What are you supposed to, what, are we supposed to bring anything? I think so. I don't know. Like, just bring whatever, you know, and they show up with a salad. You're supposed to bring dessert, you know, and they look, they give us the look, you know. We're not always known for getting all the details correctly because sports center's coming right up and, you know, it's like, I don't know, you know. So there's clearly some communication issues going on here between Adam and Eve. But most importantly, there's clearly communication issues going on between Satan and Eve. You see, he not only attacks where we are vulnerable, he attacks when we are vulnerable. And when we are most vulnerable is when we're alone. When we are isolated. When we are not in Christian community. When we do not have a friend, and typically it's not your spouse in this case, 
typically it's someone of the same sex that can look you in the eye and go, and what you're doing is, in the, is heading in the wrong direction. The way you're handling yourself with your kids and your wife is wrong. What's happening over... Someone who loves you enough and you trust enough to be able to talk to you that way. I'm just speculating. How would have this story looked different if Adam was right next to her? We can't, we don't know. But Eve corrected Satan once. I'm thinking maybe Adam would have done the same thing. At least once. Oh, you know, know, he didn't, God didn't really say that. See, there's power in numbers. We keep hammering away about these small groups and community groups it's not from our advantage. I got to tell you, it's for your advantage. It's about all this. It's about what, how you can build into someone else's life and how they can build into our life. It's not a suggestion that is given in the New Testament. If you get around to it, no, we are to live in community. We are referred to as a family and he's trying to get us to, to be on our own. To think, you know, one of the biggest mistakes in United States Christianity is we talk, we've heard this phrase before, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You ever heard that phrase? It's true. Okay, it is true. You, you can't depend on mom and dad to have your, a relationship with God. But we assume that because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my faith should also be personal. Not at all. It should be corporate. It should be about our faith. In fact, what we just did at the beginning of the service, this thing called communion and Lord's Supper, you are told not to do it by yourself. If you show me a verse where it says you do it by yourself, it's not in here. You were to do it in a context of a body of believers. Someone's told me once there's like 50 commands in the New Testament you cannot obey by yourself. You have to do it in the context of a group. And I think it's because of this. It's because of this, because when you're alone, you are isolated. You are more vulnerable. You have to find someone to, 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 to lean upon. The last thing that that he does is he uses others to influence us. To try and get his way, look at verse 6. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Let me just stop real quick. Is it just me? Adam seems a little passive here. God's given him all this instructions. This is what you need to do and make sure you landscape over here. Eat from anything you want. Except this tree, don't eat from that tree. Eve decides to eat from the tree. And then she shows up, sees her, sees her husband, say, here, here, well, here, I have an apple from the tree. He's like, okay. I don't know. I don't, why? Why? You know? Now, maybe it's because they're still naked. You know, and his babe shows up all naked here. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Whatever, babe. I, I have no clue what's going on here. But he doesn't argue one bit. Whatever. I I don't get it. I don't get it one bit. But here's what I do understand. Satan is not in that verse. Oh, Satan made me... No, Satan, we give him far too much credit. Most of the time, he just gets the ball rolling and, and and he goes back to the conference room wherever he's at and just sits back and watches it. He says, they're going to mess it up all on their own. In this case, who was the one that essentially tempted Adam? It was Eve. Just a quick question I want you to think about. Who are those that have the greatest influence in your life? And in which direction are they influencing you to go? Toward God or away from God? Now, if you think about it, the people that have influenced me the most 
A lot of times there are people that are around me, but there are also people that I've not even met, like authors or people on TV. We all have our favorite show. There are some news people or commentary people that are influencing us. Are they influencing you in the direction toward God or away from God? And if the answer is away from God, I would caution you. I'm not saying you got to dump your friend or what. I'm saying you might take away some of that influence and say, I am not going to allow you to have that influence in my life. You might consider bringing other people in your life that are going to guide you in the right direction. Because clearly in this case, Adam did not have a conversation with the serpent. It was just, in this case, Eve. Now, the rest of the chapter, and this you go, why is this important? Because it, it highlights for us, okay, the significance of resisting sin. Let me just break down with you some of the consequences. The first consequence, verse 7, is they felt shame. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves, fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. They were ashamed, and they were embarrassed. And that's one of the results of sin. You know, we talk about, well, it's not good, good to feel guilty. It depends where the guilt comes from. If it's man-made guilt, it's bad guilt. If it's spirit-made guilt... That's called conviction, and that's good. Sin will cause you to go, ah, I shouldn't have done that. The second thing that we see is there's some relational or community breakdown. Verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's interesting when you look at research about people that leave church. Research that I look at says that between 7 to 10% of you will leave church in three years. Not go to another church, just leave church. Why? It's interesting. Obviously, someone in my position, especially, I'm interested. Why? And some of the research comes up with some reasons. Let me give you some of the top reasons. Reason, uh, one of the reasons is a belief issue. A belief issue. Some people just stop believing. I don't believe that anymore. Okay? It's fascinating that that's a very... Very small percentage of people. Most people do, even if they're not in church, they still believe in in God. They still love Jesus. But some people, they feel that way, okay? Uh, Another issue is um, the hypocrisy issue. It's not that they don't believe in Jesus anymore. They just don't believe in the preacher anymore. They don't believe in the leaders anymore. They don't believe in God's people anymore. It's this idea that they look at me, us, our community, and they basically say, wait a minute, I thought this Jesus guy was supposed to change and transform your life. I I thought he was supposed to make you better and holy. And frankly, they're living their lives just as bad, or in some cases worse than my co-worker who doesn't even know Jesus. I'm done. You see, sometimes it's our responsibility. We're driving some people away by our very own actions. We're rubbing off on them in the wrong way. Now, let me just say this. Don't ever be one of those people that leaves your relationship with Jesus Christ and the church because of any one individual. Just don't do that. That is incredibly dangerous. I hope that pastors and authors, and they, they can influence us. But if you too closely tie your faith to an individual, it's going to burn you someday. Okay? Eventually... If I haven't already, I will let you down. And all God's people said, see, everybody that said that, I've done that, at least probably to them. It's going to happen. 
Because I am not perfect. You best not tie your faith in Jesus Christ to me. I'm a conduit, but that's it. So some people, it's a belief issue. Some people, it's a hypocrisy issue. Some people, it's just a discipline issue. They just, they're not in the habit. It's like kind of like exercise. We all know we should do it, but so many of us don't because we just aren't disciplined enough to get in the habit to do it. I should, I should, uh, whatever, you know, next week, okay? But then the last one that I really want to point out to you, a sin issue. Here's how this one works. Okay, I, I, pretty, I don't know the whole Bible, but I pretty much know how God wants me to live, and there's things he wants me to do and things he doesn't want me to do, and here's how he wants me to treat people, and here's, you know, I pretty much know. I understand how he wants me to live. I'm doing the best to figure that out. That's how he wants me to live, okay? But then we start doing something that is clearly not how God wants us to live. We know it. We don't have anyone to, need anyone to teach it. We clearly know something I'm doing or the way I'm acting. He doesn't want us to, me to do that. But we choose to do it anyway. And eventually what happens is that these two worlds collide. You cannot live like that very long. And at some point in time, I just, I, I, I don't feel comfortable going to youth group anymore. Because Terrence keeps bringing up this stuff and it makes me feel bad. I don't want to go to church on Sunday mornings because I just feel uncomfortable. It's because these two worlds are colliding. You cannot and do not want to be in the presence of God when you are intentionally disobeying him in an area and blatantly disobeying him in certain areas. So your and our response is to do exactly what they did in verse 8. They hid. They left. It's very, very interesting how when we sin, it, I, don't, I don't want anything else, with, even with certain Christians. I don't want to be with them. Another thing that we see is it causes stress. It causes anxiety. Verse 9 when we sin, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Someone sent me an email about this verse. I thought it was pretty interesting. Let me read it to you. It says, a pastor went out uh, on a Saturday afternoon to visit his church members. At one, of the hou- uh, at one house, it was obvious that someone was home, but nobody came to the door, even though the preacher knocked and knocked and knocked several times. Finally, the preacher took out one of his business cards, decided to be clever, and write a verse on the back of it. He wrote, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stood at the door and knocked. If anyone had heard my voice and opened the door, I would have come in and dined with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. The very next day, uh, the business card turned up in the collection plate. Below the preacher's message was written the following notation. Another verse, Genesis 3.10, I heard your voice in the garden, uh, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. (laughs) You know, verse 10 is the first verse we see fear. It's the first verse we see stress. It's the first verse we see anxiety. Even if you cannot connect the dots, here's what happens. The minute you step outside of God's will and start sinning, whether you can figure it out or not, inside of your soul, it starts churning. It starts churning. Some of the stress we have in our life is, some of it is financial. No, some of it is related to work. No question about it. Some of it is related to health. And some of it is related to this right here. We've just chosen to live in a way that is not pleasing to God. Another consequence is the blame game. Verse 11. 
And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? By the way, when God asks a question, it's not that he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to set them up to try to get them to repent. He knows the answer. Verse 12, the man Adam said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate from it. So you see what's going on in his mind. He's confronted by God. Did you disobey? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat? And he starts to reflect on the importance of personal responsibility and, and taking ownership for your mistakes. And he, so he courageously says, well, you know, God, she did it. It was her fault. Everything was fine. It was just me and the animals. And then this chick you introduced me to set me up on a blind date. She caused me to sin. And indirectly, very interesting. He's not only blaming Eve, but indirectly blaming God. You introduced us. It's interesting. That much has changed in all these years. Well, you, you know why it is. I mean, the way I, if you knew my family life, if you knew the home that I grew up in, well, then it would make sense to you why I do the things I do, why I live the way I live. You know, I met with this counselor, and they diagnosed me with this thing, and, they, you know, that, that's why I do what I do. You know, I hate to say it, and it's very painful for me to bring up, but the, the reason I am the way I am with God is because of this thing that happened with a priest a long time ago. You know, if you just understood the circumstances, if you just understood the economy, if you just understood that we didn't have any other option, you play that game. It's just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not willing to take responsibility for my actions. I would prefer to blame someone else so then I don't feel so bad about myself. It, it's from the beginning of time we want to shift responsibility. It's not my job. It's not my fault. They play the blame game. Another thing that we see is they begin to experience pain. Verse 13, God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Skip down to verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase the pains in child, childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Apparently, he never intended childbirth to be painful. Oh, wouldn't that have been nice? And I say that both from a woman's perspective and a guy's perspective. I did not like seeing Sandy suffer. You know, wasn't supposed to be painful at all. Well, that's part of the consequence of sin. Oh, and it, the boy, Adam gets some, some issues too. Verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles and on and on. You know what he's going on? You know, I created you to produce. I created you to work honorably. But from now on, Part of your employment is going to suck. You say, that's why it is. Yep, right here. <laughs> you can go tomorrow to work and tell your boss, pastor talked about you yesterday in church. <laughs> it's right here. It's going to be stressful and difficult. There's consequences to sin. You will experience pain. The last thing I just want to show you, and I've got to wrap up here, is that sin tends to escalate very quickly. Chapter 3, what's the story? Ah, oh, bummer, we, we ate an apple from a tree we shouldn't have. Sounds sort of harmless. Now look at chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. I don't have time to read it, but what's that story about? Well, uh, apparently one morning, Eve wakes up, and she's a little moody. 
Adam's like, what's with you? You know, then another morning she wakes up and, uh, you know, she's got cravings for food she never had. Then she starts to, she starts to get nauseous for an hour or two every morning. And then Adam notices she's starting to gain weight. It's like, girl, you are putting on some pounds. I'm going to have to get another animal skin for you, like a buffalo skin. You're getting big, you know. And then he realized, oh, my goodness, you're pregnant. Oh, and they have a little baby boy, and they call him Cain. Oh, he's so cute. And then they have another little baby boy, and they call him Abel. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. And they set up the room with the, with the crib, and they're, oh, what a wonderful family, right? And they're like, okay, well, now, now this is going to be good. We got the, the two kids, and we're going to get the dog, and everything's going to be the perfect family, you know. Very quickly, here's what they discover. Cain and Abel aren't perfect children. Parents, have you noticed you do not have to teach your children to misbehave? They just do it naturally. Have you noticed this? Some of you are looking like, my little Susie? Yes, your little Susie. When I'm done with my sermon, I walk out that door. I walk down the hallway. There's all the kids right there. It's craziness sometimes when I walk by. Kids are scratching at each other. Give me that toy. I want it. We make it look all nice and pretty before you pick them up. But it is not very pretty sometimes. You don't have to teach them to misbehave. You know why? Because we are told that while we are made in God's image, in other words, special, unique, unlike anything in creation, okay? That's why life is so valuable to us, those of us who study the Bible the way we do. It's valuable, Because we are made in God's image. But also since chapter 3, we now are also born with this thing called a sin nature. You cannot help it. You are born sinful. I don't care how cute they are. They are born sinful. They will sin all on their own. They don't have to learn it from anybody. You see, here's how it works. Roland Fossold, my grandfather, he was a good man, but he was also a sinful man. Do you know why? Because his father was sinful. He inherited. My father, many of you know him, Jim Fossil. He is a good man, but he is also a sinful man. Do you know why? Because his father was sinful. My children, Joshua and Jessica and Julia, are good kids, but they at times are sinful kids. Do you know why? Because their mother is sinful. It's just the way it works, you know? (laughs) They cannot help it. It just gets worse and worse. It, it started out with, ah, oh, we shouldn't have had that piece of fruit. You know what chapter 4 is about? It's about one brother murdering another brother. And then just a couple chapters later, there's, a, there's another story, chapter 6. It's called the flood. Let me give you the, the, the very quick Cliff Notes version. God's like, I'm done. Six chapters. It took us six chapters to miss it up, mess it up that bad. Six He's like, I'm done. I'm like an Etch-A-Sketch. I'm just going to start all over again. That's how bad it got. And then in chapter 11, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. It gets worse and worse. We're just going to do it for a little bit of time, Pastor. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just sowing my wild oats. It, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll be back. Really? You may think that, but there comes a point in time you can't get back. It's too far gone. It's so hard. What do, you, what do you want me to do with all this, Dave? Let me tell you exactly what I want you to do. Let's put it up on the screen, the last couple things. First thing I want you to do is to embrace the second Adam. You go, what the heck does that mean? 
I just want you to write it in the margin of your notes if you have it. Just write Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is an incredible theological explanation. Um, And and in that explanation, the second part of of, of chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, just like through one man, Adam, everything was messed up. Likewise, through one man, the second Adam, this guy called Jesus, everything is going to get fixed. And it's an incredible theological explanation of how one guy messed it up and one guy turned it all around. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the first thing I want you to do. There's nothing else I can help you with in terms of the consequences of sin until you do that. If you've already done that, I want you to keep doing that. I'm not saying continue to accept him as your Savior, but follow him and embrace him and learn more about him. Embrace the second Adam. The second thing I want you to... Oh, you know what? I wanna, I, I'm glad I had my finger in here. I, one of the things that I love about chapter... Th- chapter 3 is a little depressing. It's how everything got messed up. And in the midst of chapter 3, we still see God's grace. He goes and looks for him in the garden. Later on in the chapter, he literally makes them close. But one of the things that I, I love is right in the middle of all this mess, God begins to set the plan in place. If you still have your Bibles open, chapter 3, the first prophetic mention of Jesus Christ, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to, to Satan. He said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are, are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life. This is not just a discovery channel kind of a verse. There's theological implications about what he's saying to Satan. But I love verse 13, or verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. What woman? What is he? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And here it comes. He. Who he? What is going on? He will crush your head and he will strike your heel. Moments after the fall of man, when we created separation between us and God, God says to Satan, come over here. I'm going to take you out. What you did to mankind I'm going I'm to reverse it completely. It's going to take me a little time. I'm going to set it up. But the he in verse 15 is Jesus Christ. And he will crush you. And that's why you hold on to him. I want to evaluate who's influencing you. I just, you know, just real calmly. Who are the greatest influences in my life? And are they heading me in the right direction or the wrong direction? Just, you're smart enough to figure it out. Just figure it out. Let me just add one more thing. If you're a parent here, you need to be involved, especially when your children are young, in choosing their friends. That doesn't sound very right. I did it. Why? Because friends influence. Friends influence. Nope, you're not hanging out with so-and-so. Nope, you're not going to their house for an overnight. Why? Well, because I don't like the potential influence they have in your life. Now, obviously, the older they get, the more they're going to make choices. But this is huge. Who's influencing you? Not just who's influencing my kids. Who's influencing me? And we all have influencers. And if you don't have enough that are pointing you in the right direction, get a few more. The last thing, I I want you to fight. I want you to fight. Resist the enemy. 
Paul says in, in, in Ephesians, we, we're in a war. Go to war. This sin thing is still battling us. Yes, we have forgiveness of sins, and, and we get to spend eternity with God, but we're still battling our sin nature. Fight. Last question, then I'm going to let you go. What one area of your life do you need to fight more in? What one sin are you just giving in too quickly? Or what good thing are you not doing that you you need to be doing more? Where do you need to fight more? I want to encourage you to fight. Why? Why am I making a big deal about this? Why why this, this chapter? Here's why. Because if you're not careful, in a blink of an eye, you can go from Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader. And that's not something you want. Let's stand. We'll close in a word of prayer. I'll let you get going. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as he is presented to us right in the middle of the mess of Genesis 3. This sin thing just, it was it's so incredibly destructive to what you created. And um, we continue to bear responsibility for for what our ancestors, Adam and Eve, did. Father, I pray, I pray that we would, you would give us the courage to take responsibility for how we are living our lives. And that I pray that you would teach us to, to hold on to Jesus Christ, the strength, the power that he gives us to turn this around, realizing that if we don't turn it around, it has impact on our lives and it has impact on the Cain and Abel's, our kids and our kids' kids. It, it continues to spread. Father, give us the strength to break that chain, areas and sins in our life that we need to break for the sake of ourselves and our family. Father, help us be serious as a church when it comes to sin, but also loving and gracious. And uh, realize that we all have sin and we all have things that we're struggling with and, and working through. Father, I, I thank you for what you've taught me. I thank you for what you've taught us through this incredible chapter. I pray that you would be with us this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people say. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.